Morning to most, good afternoon to others, and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond. I'm Jason Miles, your host for another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe, and if you are enjoying what you see, make sure to hit the notifications bell as we are constantly adding new shows and cross streams with other channels constantly. Just Next week, we will be doing our Revolutionary Reckoning, our cross-stream with the guys from Left Reckoning. Uh, also, for those of you that watch the show, we are an audio podcast as well. Actually, this show started out as an audio-only show because I didn't want to plaster this ugly mug all over the net. But alas, things change. Uh, and we do video now, but we also do audio streams. And... If you go back into the archives, you will see that a lot of the audio shows were very different than the video shows. So please make sure you check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Also, now that I have you here, if you enjoy what we do here in TIR and you don't want to make the monthly Patreon commitment, we have. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. TIR merch. Yes, you can get Pascal Robert's smiling face on a mug or a mouse pad or even on a T-shirt. You can find that all at www.thisisrevolutionpodcast.com. Now that we got that all out of the way, let us bring in our Saturday crew. Please welcome my co-host. He is my homie, my dog. He is the man of the Mau Mau Hour. And he is also fired up about not just today's show topic, but today's guest. This is going to be a meeting of the Haitian minds. If we could have had M. Toussaint here for this explosion of the Caribbean diaspora, and not just a Caribbean diaspora explosion, mind you, an East Coast Caribbean diaspora explosion. You would have generations of East Coast Haitians speaking that crazy talk. But please welcome the granddaddy of it all, the Pascal Robert. 
Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings, Jason Miles. Maybe the big papa. <laughs> no. Anyway. Oh. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Did we lose you? Yeah. No. Sorry. I hit my very sensitive new camera. So. Black. Got new toys. Got new toys over there, big boy. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff. Uh, the duck sound should be gone that people were complaining about oh so much. That was not a duck or a chair. It actually was in Tucson's computer. It's been broken, and we have fixed that, remedied that solution, and she has been sent a new one. Brand new. She'll be the first person to use it. So shout out to MT. She couldn't join us today because she's allergic to sports. But other than that. Well, I mean, Charlie Ghost is like, I kind of like the duck. Here we go. (laughs) No, don't say don't say that. Don't say that, Charlie. I met Charlie in uh, in L.A. Don't say that because I got so many messages about the duck that were not nice because people thought it was a real duck. Someone sent me messages on WhatsApp. And I was like, how the hell they found me on WhatsApp? (laughs) But they were like. Uh, hey man, really like the show, love what you do, but she might have to put the duck away. And I was like, it's not a duck, man. <laughs> it was literally a computer problem. It was not an animal. Uh, MT does not have an animal. Uh, she had a very old hand-me-down computer that was finally dying on her. So duck sound has been resolved. Thanks to you wonderful people that support the show, you were able to get her a new a new laptop. So that's good, right, Pascal? It's great news, my brother. Uh, it's election season, Pascal. And the midterm elections are just days away. Some people are getting excited. My emails are getting flooded by the Democratic Party to stop the fascist rise of any GOP candidate they think that we should stop. Once again, former president and liberal Democratic icon of diversity and inclusion, Barack Obama has been dispatched to make sure Dems don't lose too much power in the House and to slight advantage in the Senate. I bring this up because I want people to remember that no matter the platform, no matter how wonderful a candidate might purport to be, it takes more than one person to topple capitalism. There was a recent article in the San Francisco Chronicle about the amount of police interaction now that former leftist, progressive, socialist DA Chase Aboudin is out and new tough on crime district attorney Brooke Jenkins is in office from the article. In the three months since Jenkins was sworn in in July 8th, police initiated eight more traffic stops per day on average when compared with three months before an increase of nearly 30 percent. Also in the 45 days after Jenkins was sworn in, officers made 10 additional public order stops per day, a 20% increase, according to the analysis conducted by an economist from New York University's Public Safety Lab in partnership with the Chronicle. Public order stops include those related to vandalism, illegal dumping, soliciting sex, trespassing, and sit-lie ordinances, which prohibit individuals from sitting or lying on city sidewalks between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. 
These crimes are most classified or mostly classified as lower level and police typically exercise more discretion in responding to them than they do with more serious offenses like robberies and shootings. The jump in stops raises questions about whether the change was driven by the replacement of a progressive reformist prosecutor with a more moderate district attorney who has publicly pledged to increase punishment for people accused of crime. Unquote. So while Boudin was in office as DA of San Francisco, law enforcement didn't take kindly to his progressive stance on quality of life crime and didn't respond to calls as quickly. During the campaign to recall Boudin, he was blamed for a spike in property crime and homelessness. The top cop, if you will, did not have the support of the mayor's office and the police departments. The same people with BLM and defund the police placards were calling to get the progressive out of office for the more mainstream DA who vowed to be tough on poor people. Boudin rode a wave of excitement that was still in the air during the last Bernie campaign, where we all felt like progressives holding public office could make a difference. It's hard to reimagine what justice should look like with no real left, and you're fighting a constant battle against an established government. What do you think about that, Ms. Cohn? I think that's a really serious conundrum because the key part that you just mentioned there is that there's no real left and no one can, to give any kind of real support to J Jason Boudin's effort to bring forth a much more humane criminal justice uh, uh, platform in in that in the Bay Area. This is a big problem because I'm seeing now we're in a position now we have some people who are on the left who are echoing the Teflon crime rhetoric that we've been seeing rising with the Democratic Party. And I think the Democratic Party is laying down a marker in that they are so interested in running away from the defund the police rhetoric that they've gone completely in the opposite direction. And they're trying to outcop the right in terms of how to deal with these problems. So because the left is not only weak but non-existent, there's no one who provides any kind of cover for these kind of policies to create a groundswell of grassroots support for anti-carceral politics. As I've said before on this show, I really believe that we are going to move in a direction where not only are the anti-carceral or anti-mass incarceration politics that were popular in the early arts going to go away, but I think that there might be a new form of a kind of mass incarceration regime that will be brought forth by either the Democrats or the Republicans. I agree. And I don't think it's going to be, I said this before on the show, I don't think it's going to be on a federal level like we saw in the 90s. I think it definitely will be uh, municipality by municipality, state by state. Um, even in California, um, as we've reported on uh, a few months ago, uh, the more violent parts of the city with the highest murder rates actually are the red parts of the city with uh, conservative Republican uh, district attorneys and conservative Republican, quote unquote, tough on crime sheriffs as well. You know, and it also brings in uh, another question about um, working for the state as far as being part of the security apparatus for capitalism. Can you do that? in any sort of reformist way um, as a Marxist, right? Or even as any sort of progressive? It's a, it's, it's, it's a serious question because Boudin, I mean, this guy was not exactly a hammer and sickle wearing communist by any stretch of the imagination. He just wanted to have some tepid forms of, of, of anti-carceral reform in terms of how people dealt with mass incarceration in the Bay Area. And he got squashed, man. 
He did. And I think the problem is, as we saw in L.A., you know, we had a, a live show in, in Los Angeles recently. Um, blight pisses people off. Even those same people that don't like the abuses that come in the aftermath of the crackdown or quote unquote cleanup. So to kind of give some context to that point, I was having a meeting with a person that just left LA city council and uh, working for a, a council member. And they were telling me that they would get calls from their constituents and when they would go to the constituents' places, they would have the defund placards up, the, the the BLM placards up. They were protesting, but they were calling to get RVs removed from their street because they said they were a fire hazard. And sometimes right. they are. It's just not that simple, right? Here's a question. This is a conundrum I want to ask you, Jason. How do we have an anti-carceral, an anti-mass incarceration, an anti-mass incarceration left politics when we do have members of the grassroots citizenry mm -hmm. who wants to depend on police to resolve their problems with crime that's a real that's a real situation yeah because what do you do when you're literally frightened you're not going to call a, a social worker right when things are legitimately quote unquote annoying you, you know, and people can get mad about that statement all they want, but let's just be honest, people just don't like seeing blight. You just don't like being asked over and over if you have any money as you're walking down uh your street, seeing people have to sleep in it. It it is hard to deal with constantly. Most people retreat. Right? I mean I think that this comes to the point where when you have a political situation where you have no real oppositional politics that mm -hmm. can help cur curtail the public will of the populace so that mm -hmm. they can develop a more progressive outlook towards the causes of crime and say, well, maybe it's not about policing, maybe it's about ending poverty. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to shape the public will. You, people don't get the political education to come to these realizations of their on their own. But again, that requires us having a left who's willing to organize and help shape the public will. And how is that going to be done when we're in a country, country that is pushing propaganda, that is promoting some of the most you know, very reactionary attitudes towards crime and criminal activity, people who are on the margins, the homeless, and all, the, all of that other social dislocation mm -hmm. that has to be addressed in a way that is both diminishing the problems, but also at the same time, recognizing the crisis at the same time. It is a very deep and long conversation we could do a whole nother show about it. We've done several shows about it. Uh, for those that are new to the show, I actually worked with the unhoused, was unhoused, lived amongst the unhoused for ever, it felt like. Um, so these these uh, conversations actually come from a very personal place. That being said, maybe it's time to bring in our guest. Probably has an opinion about this now that they are in Southern California. 
friend of show, cultural critic, co-host of the Dope Bros podcast, and NBA writer for The Athletic. Please welcome Wozni Lombre. Yo, what's up? I, I hate to do this to you, Jason, but you fucked up the podcast name and you gave my old job. <laughs> Damn, just woke bros. There you go. <laughs> dope bros, sorry. Yes, it's you know woke why? bros. I was, I was thinking of Outcast, two dope boys in Cadillac. Yes, sir. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm no longer at the Athletic. I work at the Ringer now, so uh, check out theRinger.com. Oh my bad. Yeah, so it's all good. It's all good. Look, it's still my family over there at the Athletic. I love those guys. There's, there's like ten black NBA writers, right? Maybe yes. three. Right. No, this is about 10 of us. <laughs> and I think all of you are from New York. <laughs> no, that's not fair. That's not fair. We got some Detroit players in there. We got some yay area. My man, shots to Marcus Thompson, my brother over at the athletic. We got, we got a few people. Um, my man, Tashawn Reed, he's a, he's a Kansas. No, he's a St. Louis guy. I always get St. Louis and Kansas City confused because I'm a city slicker. That's fine. Um, <laughs> you just started, you started Midwest beef. <laughs> right. Uh, but there's a few of us. And NBA media, I'm not going to lie. Like, NBA media is very well represented as far as East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, Down South, Black homies. Um, in the NBA media, I can't speak to baseball or football or um the other major american sports but in the nba it's a few of us out there man i don't know any black people that talk about baseball that aren't retired black players <laughs> i don't think there's any black americans playing baseball right now bruh um watching watching the uh the world series where every black guy you see is dominican <laughs> is kind of crazy it's like yo is, is, that well, is, that triggering, is that triggering you as a Haitian, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what's so crazy, Pascal? That there are Haitian people who do that, who do the, like, anti-Dominican, like, oh, they doing our people so bad over there when they go over there, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Dominicans don't mess with us, blah, I, you know. I think I, I'm, I there might have been a period of time in my life where I was on that. But, no, I don't – I I have nothing but love for the Dominicans, man. Que lo que? <laughs> I, I tried I watched a little bit of the World Series and uh I wasn't shocked because I feel like nowadays with and we've talked about this on our sports show. Um sadly the co host of the sports show who was supposed to be with us today, Matt couldn't make it, he got injured at his job. Um shout out to Matt, get better, brother. Uh now kids are so serious about sports at such a young age. AAU at six. It's like you put a basketball in a six, seven-year-old's hand and you just assume that's what the MFR is going to do forever and he's not allowed to play 12 other sports. Like, you know. Or just we, play tag. Remember tag? <laughs> <laughs> Your dad's out there like, what are you, what are you doing? You can do something. <laughs> Sit down. You got a game today. You will not get a scholarship to Berkeley playing tag. So stop. <laughs> Kids aren't gonna have any. Kids are already worried about their brand at eight. It's it's uh, maybe they're so serious about it because it's so expensive. Hey, that is well, part of it. Everyone thinks that you can Marinovich your kid into greatness. If and I'll throw a couple more hugs in, 
and I won't Marinovich my kid like Todd, but uh, ultimately I will. I mean, there's a there's a really funny documentary that uh, came out, Jesus, maybe about 10 years ago called Trophy Parents, I think is what it's called, with these parents that were pushing their kids to be great at sports, but their kids were not good. Mm. And the best part of it, Pascal, man, if I would have thought about this, I would have put a clip up. This dude, he takes his son to all the shooting camps, right? He's doing all the shooting stuff, and his son is playing an AAU game. He can't hit the right side of a barn. He's just throwing up bricks. He's shooting from half court. And this kid's like 9 or 10. He's got no business trying to shoot from like half court. And he's just missing. And the coach finally is like, stop. I got to sit you down. And the dad is sitting there, understands like you know he was just he was just finding his shot. He was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can't man I don't have any children. Um, maybe someday I will. Uh, I can't imagine being that invested in the outcome of a youth basketball, football, <laughs> baseball game. That's just I don't know. I I'm don't happy know. if my son takes a charge. There you go. Like all right, because that's those grit. <laughs> we like grit. You can apply grit to other aspects of your life. Um, grit is universal. Uh, Three-point shooting, not so much. <laughs> uh, my my younger son, I have a 16-year-old son that's into skateboarding, and I didn't uh, – I'm probably really horrible when it comes to encouraging my children to do anything. And he uh, – we were at my, my grandmother's house. And this, she lives on this huge hill in El Cerrito, California. And my son, my son had brought a skateboard. And I was like, why don't you skate down the hill? He's like, I don't have a helmet or pads or anything. I was like, really? <laughs> helmet and pads? I went down has, that hill with no helmet and pads. Has this dude ever heard of a Spike Jones vid? You got to show him <laughs> Spike Jones, man. He got to learn about the culture. Oh, well, you know, I bullied him into going down the hill with no uh, helmets and pads, and he made it. He was fine. He was fine. He, he will be, I don't know what he's going to be, a barista. Who knows what he's going to be? <laughs> don't do that to the guy man don't do that no, that's such a black dad of you <laughs> <laughs> this kid's headed for failure i'm telling you <laughs> this is black dad vibe. no he's, he's he's actually a really he's really a good skater i actually kind of enjoy sitting back and watching watching him fall and get up fall and get up is pretty awesome by the but way, let's talk um, about someone who uh hold is, on. just before we go the chat yeah. just remind me shouts to m Toussaint. i was hoping she would be here today because i've never spoken to her never met her but as y'all know i'm a faithful listener to the show and she is consistent in how many times she makes me laugh throughout every <laughs> single episode she is a goddamn riot so shouts to her man uh wherever she's at taking the day off m Toussaint. Shouts to you. I hope you hear that, MT. Uh, she's probably sleeping in because it's also she early. She cracks me up, dude. Uh, that was a good. That was a good steal on our on our part. Speaking of basketball lingo, good steal, M Tucson. But speaking basketball, Kyrie Irving, yeah. guard, talented player. Uh, much like Kanye West has publicly embraced some anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric of late, so 
has Kyrie. Uh, Irving is finding out that unless you're not addressed as the honorable, anti-Semitism will cost you. <laughs> He's been suspended by the team, and now Nike has dropped him and refuses to release his new shoe. This is from the New York Times. The drama around Irving's posts and now his absence have added to the woes of a reeling Nets team that entered the season less than three weeks ago with championship aspirations. On Friday, Durant, Durant spoke about the role the news media has played in Irving's situation. This is the way of the NBA, Durant said. So many outlets now, and their stories fast now. So that's where all the chaos is coming from. Everybody's opinions. Everybody's opinion on the situation, and we're hearing it nonstop. But once the ball starts bouncing and we get into practice, none of that stuff really seeps into the gym. That's the cool part about being in the league, unquote. Now, before I pivot to Waz and Pascal, I'd like to read a passage from another friend of show, excuse me, Adolph Reed, in regards to this recent uptick in media attention and condemnation around this idea of black anti-Semitism from Reed's book, Class Notes. Black anti-Semitism specific resonance stems from its man bites dog quality. Black Americans are associated in the public realm with opposition to racial prejudice. So the apparent bigotry among them seem newsworthy. But the newsworthiness also depends on a particular type of racial stereotyping. The notion that, on some level, all black people think with one mind. Mm. But black anti-Semitism appeals to a more actively malicious sentiment as well. The patient, the, the patient suffering slow to anger, morally superior imagery on which the civil rights movement traded was at bottom a homegrown representation of the noble savage. As such, it's set up for the nasty savage response. And that's what black anti-Semitism is. Here's how it works. First, posit the single racial mind so that whatever any black person does speaks for and reflects on all others. Then comes Sologism. <laughs> I probably said that wrong. Blacks deserve equal rights to the extent that they are morally exemplary. Black anti-Semitism <laughs> shows that blacks are aren't morally exemplary. Therefore, black demands for equal citizenship are tainted and need not be taken seriously. That part explains why black anti-Semites ruffle public feathers even among Jewish interest group elites in a way that more powerfully connected and therefore more dangerous whites don't. Generally speaking, black anti-Semitism is a rationale, an excuse for whites who either want to demand that blacks be uniformly decent and admirably fair in ways that apply to no other group of Americans or simply looking to justify their descent from a racially egalitarian social and political agenda. That's the beauty of the one mind view. What any lone black person does can be pretext for joining the racist opposition. Remember all those outraged whites who announced the, that the after the OJ, the OJ Simpson verdict ended their support for affirmative action, social spending, <laughs> destruction amendments. It's also written in the 90s. So, Pascal, I'm sure you know that quote from that book well. I know that quote. I'm glad you really pulled that one out there. I was thinking about his statements to the subject matter in the Jesse Jackson phenomenon. He talks about the relationship between uh, black people and Jewish people and Heimitown. how the say again. Yeah, he Heimitown. talks about the Heimitown comment. He also talks about how the historical way in which 
many people from the Jewish community were able to curate their relationship with the civil rights movement, allowed them to have a kind of spokesmanship in terms of how leadership in the black community would be filtered out. But that role was not reciprocated by black people in terms of the Jewish community because they didn't have the power dynamics were not the same. So um, I like that quote that you brought up a lot. It really says a great deal about uh, the subject matter at hand. Uh, Waz, can you give us a little bit of context for, for what's happening with uh, Kyrie and maybe even put it in context with, um, and I hate to I hate to bring it up again. I know you guys did a whole show last Saturday about Kanye, but I think they are kind of. They're in, yeah, they're in, twins. they're working in concert with each other. I think, so the thing about what's happening with Kyrie that I will say that I can say that the media, particularly the NBA media, to to be frank, these guys don't want to go after players. They they don't. That's not what they're inclined to do. These, for the most part, I can say that as somebody who's basically been a part of this shit for like five years now, these are people who love the sport, who have an admiration for the guys that take part in it. They do not want to go after guys for stuff like this. They actually pretty deferential um, when it comes to how they cover the league. I'll just say that um, off the top. Kyrie, I think, is a special case. Um, this is a guy who, let's face it, just I, I think how long ago was the flat earth thing? But Kyrie was flat earth guy. Not uh, that was maybe ago. a couple seasons ago. Yes. So th- th- this is not a, I'm not this is not a euphemism. No, literally the guy was out publicly espousing flat earth views. <laughs> That's that happened. <laughs> then you know, with COVID and the vaccine or whatever, he took a very strong um anti-vaccine stance, very vaccine skeptical. To the point where this guy literally missed game checks. He literally sacrificed um, on this. I don't I'm not getting vaccinated thing. So that's a one. And and the vaccine thing became so politicized. And another thing that people need to understand is that NBA media. The meaning the people who cover the NBA are a very hyper liberal bunch and that vaccine thing was a wedge issue and it annoyed a lot of liberal people within the media mm-hmm. so he had that going on too this guy missed games he hit us with the whole oh uh my body and i'm speaking for the i'm the voice of the voiceless and and i and to be fair i have i personally think in certain places like San Francisco, New York City, they kind of the vaccine mandates got to a point where there was a bit of incoherence associated that any reasonable person could say, man, they kind of went a little too far with the mandates. However, anti-vax people, remember when we was going to go three heads and die and drop dead and all of that from the vax? Y'all got to take that L too. <laughs> But whatever, Kyrie was <laughs> Kyrie, Kyrie is he was part of that. So and that that deeply annoyed 
media because the vax stuff became partisan and Kyrie was on the other side of that. Then he comes with this fucking mumbo jumbo anti-Semitism, black Israelite crap. And as I'm watching it, you know, it's kind of hard as I'm talking to my comrades in the media. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to say I'm apart from these guys. These are my brothers. These are people who I love. However, they don't come from where we come from. And so Mm -hmm. this black Israelite shit lands on their ears differently than us. We've been seeing and hearing, we've known people who briefly joined the Israelites. Well, another NBA player was, it is, I think he's out of the league now. Amari Stoudemire is a black Israelite, right? But Amari, no, but Amari did the, <laughs> Amari did the, no, like I'm black, but I'm actually like an Orthodox Jew thing. Okay. He didn't even go with black Israelite. He went with I'm black and I'm Jewish, right? Mm. Um, which again happened when he moved to New York. Which if you want to be, a... <laughs> it wasn't Brooklyn per se, was it? No, it wasn't Brooklyn. But if you want to be funny about it, it's like this guy moves to New York and finds <laughs> Don't let Yahweh. Like that's crazy. And so what's happening with the coverage of Kyrie is like there's a bunch of people who just they literally don't know what he's talking about they've literally never heard this rhetoric of black people actually being god's chosen people the lost tribe of judah um you know uh, a connection to east african jews and that type of thing like they never heard it ever in their life and so when they hear Kyrie doing this quackery that manifests in outright racism and bigotry. They don't get it. But for me, it lands on my ears differently in the sense that this is another thing that a lot of people I feel like don't have an appreciation for. These guys, these NBA players, there are people around them who it's been in their self-interest to yes men these dudes yes since they were teenagers there's not a lot of people around them to challenge them and if you have not been challenged in any significant way because people saw you as some kind of meal ticket of some kind meaning there is financial gain from being proximate to you Nobody's challenging this mumbo jumbo. My cousin, like, and, and like, and there's so much to it. That's why I'm so happy to be talking to y'all today because when I hear Kyrie playing these word games mm-hmm. where he's like, I can't be anti-Semite because if anti-Semitism is racial, you know, bigotry towards Jews, I'm a Jew. I know my history. History. <laughs> I know my history. And so if you're telling me anti-Semitism is Jewish, is bigotry towards Jews, and I'm a black Jew, you know, I'm actually God's chosen people. I can't be anti-Semite. It reminds me of, and Pascal can appreciate this, whenever you meet somebody who just converted to Rastafarianism for the Mm. first time. They start talking about the metaphysics. Mm -hmm. They start talking about overstanding and not understanding. (laughs) Like these word games that they play. 
Kyrie is reminding me of that. These word games where it's like, no, brother, somebody just, yo, Kyrie. These are people descended from a specific people from Europe. The Europeans been hating on these folks for literally a thousand plus years. They've been getting displaced from Spain, from France, from you name it. All of this shit culminated in mass genocide, murder to these specific people. All the shit you talking about, about being Elohim and the original got nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, bro. But nobody can get through to this dude because, again, everybody around these people, for the most part, they're not self-interested in telling them hard truths. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to shut up, eat shit. You're completely wrong. And so the difficulty in, bro, I just woke up today. I've looked at my Instagram. Somebody I know, black person from the Northeast. Mm-hmm. They posted the news that Kyrie got dropped from Nike. And the caption was, man, we're taking this shit too far. <laughs> Nigga, what? <laughs> it's 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 like the Kyrie thing is it speaks to so much things that white people don't interact with. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. like with us, we have to learn how white people are, the things that some of them might believe the customs and the cultural mores that some of them might have, we have to assimilate to a dominant white majority society. White people don't have to do that with us. So they don't know this fringe part of our culture. And another thing, I know I'm going on and on because you're fine. this shit is so like resonant to my life. Another thing that people don't understand and I try to explain to white people is like a lot of black people who don't understand the dialogue around Jewish people, they get confused because how you denigrate a black person oftentimes in this country, you're frivolous with money. Mm-hmm. You spend like an idiot. How you denigrate the Jew is you say he's tight. Mm-hmm. A black person doesn't understand. It's like if I'm an asshole for spending frivolously, wouldn't the remedy be to be cheaper? They don't they if you don't if you remove the context of that narrative being used to hate on the Jews for thousands of years, (laughs) you don't understand why it's bad to say, bro, you're good with money. Jewish person. Like, bro, no, that's like bigoted. Like to a black person that lands on their ear fucked up because how you hate on the blacks is call them frivolous with money. Another one, black people don't stick together. All they do is kill each other. Black on black crime, blah, 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 blah. They turn around and say about the Jews, they're colluding. (laughs) They're they're all in on this secret thing. They're so tight knit. Mm -hmm. It's impenetrable, the Jews and all of that. It's literally the opposite critique 
of what you would say about the blacks. These are all stereotypes, mind you. There is no monolithic Jewish people, right? Just like us, there's different cultures and segments of the Jewish population. But like a lot of this shit, like, oh, all of y'all got good jobs. Y'all lawyers, accountants, doctors, you know, you get cool jobs in entertainment. Black people can't understand how you're saying something that can be perceived as bigotry when these are things that black people feel like as a people have been trying to achieve since they got here. And so all of that shit with a fucking professional athlete who's been having his ass kissed his whole life and thinks he's finding some type of self-discovery through black Israelite shit with the media hyper-liberal, come out of academia, where this shit is just a given. They never heard nobody on a block talk about some Jewish conspiracy. I've been hearing this shit my whole life about the Jews, especially when you in New York City and is when you grow up in Brooklyn half your life and the interactions that you have with the Jews are Hasidic Jews who are landlords. It's like a really specific, that's like a really specific relational interaction. And black people in New York City have a fucked up relationship with them. And so in your neighborhoods, the shit that you hearing about Jewish people is bullshit all the time. But like, so when I hear Kyrie and his dumb shit about there's a group of people who rule the world. It's a cabal. It's the Rothschilds. And it's the it's like, bruh, I had I stepped past that shit when I was like 13. <laughs> he was dribbling. He was he was in camps. Pascal, why is it? And and you've made this statement. And I know you're pretty excited to speak. Why is it that these Negroes have Jews on the brain? That's um. I think that to answer that question, it's going to use a phrase that a good friend of mine named Anthony Weir gave me to answer that. As long as you look at capitalism through an ethnic lens, you will always have Jews on the brain. Mm. Nigga, what? As long as you look at capitalism, all of this that we're talking about is a product of the damage that ethnic pluralism does to the mind. You think that there's some kind of metaphysical, magical, mystical power that this ethnic group has that allows them to come together and do these things that you can't do when you are black, when you fail to realize that 66% of your population in this country as a black person were picking cotton or working as domestic workers until the 60s, the decade I was born. Are you shocked that these people have more money than you are? They were already in college by the time you were still in that position. What's really problematic about this to me is that it's divorced from something that we talk about all the time, is divorced from a materialist analysis of what is the reality that dictates why people are in different positions in America. People are in different positions because when they come to America, they have different skill 
skill sets and they're able to function in different places in society. I've talked about a book here on the show before. It's a book that I think that everyone should read. It addresses this very well. It's a book called The Ethnic Myth. And it addresses specifically how notions like ethnic pluralism, that the magical, mystical Italian or Jew or the Irish pull themselves together out of their bootstraps and work together in a way that the Negro can't because the Negro is defective is a lot of horseshit. In the book, The Ethnic Myth, it talks about how white ethnics, when they, when they came to the United States at a certain period of time, particularly in the late 19th century, in the early 20th century, how, how many of them had certain preferential skill sets that allowed them to rise in American society. And looked at the Irish Americans. Of the Irish Americans that were immigrating in the United States from the late 1900s into early, early 20th century, less than 15% of them had high caliber skills that made them competitive in the job market. You look at, compared to the Italian Americans, they were even lower in the percentage. Of the Jewish immigrants that came to the United States, particularly from Germany, in that period of time, over 66% of them had high competitive job training and skills. There's no mystification as to why Jews did well in America. They came to in America with a highest skill sets, particularly depending on what part of Europe they came from. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that in Europe, Jews were placed in professions that gave them skills, that gave them access to literacy, access to commerce, and access to small business ownership. But at the same time, without any kind of understanding of these materialist dynamics that allow these ethnic groups to ascend, we were like, like well, black folk ain't got all shit together. That's how come we can't do these things like these other groups. Not and we end up culture. mystifying them. It's I, think another th I think another thing, and I think we touched on this in the, in the pre-show, that a lot of my white counterparts in the media don't understand too is this message that we speak of of a black chosen people it's a counter narrative mm -hmm. to what a lot of black people feel like is the american narrative of blacks meaning slave which again black people y'all gotta get over it not that it happened but y'all gotta the the shame is misplaced like a lot of black people feel shame about slavery as if they were doing the oppressing there's no shame in somebody oppressing you you got fucked over you don't need to be shamed but there's this like there's a need for an anti sort of victim narrative so it's like we're not slaves we're not dumb we're not illiterate we're not lazy we're not blah 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 as a matter of fact we're God's chosen people. As a matter of fact, we were kings in Africa. As a matter of fact, we're the original man, right? It's a counter narrative to this, like, I think a lot of black people internalize some level of shame. And so these counter narratives feel appealing if you feel 
some shame about your race. This well, is think, counter to that. Well, Pas- I, Pascal had said something a while back, and I hope you're going to go on this, Pascal, where you mentioned the whole, like, uh, black people think that if we're magical and special, then white people take us seriously. Yeah, no, this, this, there's a long history of this. Racial, it's called racial vindicationism. It's like we have to uplift the race. We have to vindicate the race. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have to, and, and if you read historical scholarship, you go back to black nationalist scholarship, historical, even you go to Carter D. Woodson, there's a belief that in order to improve the self-esteem of the race, you must give them narratives of self-empowerment. And a lot of that, particularly in some of the early nationalist rhetoric, you'll see all of these kind of cultural metaphors about the chosen people, the people of Israelite, about all of these other, all of these narratives that are used. This resonates in a certain, even in scholarship on black thought, on black political and social thought, this using, using the Bible as a way of being a metaphor, even in black religious thought, to the condition of black folk, going back to noble Drew Ali, going back to uh, uh, going back to uh, Garveyism, you find it even sometimes in Rastafarianism. There's a cosmology. There's almost a kind of racial cosmology, if you will, that develops in black spaces that attempts to vindicate the condition, which is not illogical. If you're if you're living in a country in a society where everyone is telling you that you are crap, that you are nothing, it's not illogical that the people in your community are going to need to feel the need to develop an intellectual platform that gives them self-esteem, that tells them you are, not all you are, are you something, you are better than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's not illogical to understand how this type of thinking comes together, but that doesn't mean that we should give license to it as being real, real when we understand that it's based on this attempt to vindicate people from these harms of the past. So I want to, I want to, man, recently I was in, I don't want to say the city cause I don't want to denigrate the institution, but I was at a black museum in a major American city recently. And one of the pieces of art that was in there, it was like a collage of I guess black royalty, like you know, motherfucking king kings and shit, and like from Africa. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I remember when I got religion on this, we was once king shit, and it, and it wasn't like some grand revelation. It was just like, okay, so we used to do the subjugating. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is it, like, how is that? Uh, uh, something positive that we should embrace. How is this what kind idea... of forever? Exactly. <laughs> By the way, Jason, we're aligned on our anti-Black Pantherness. Um, <laughs> how is this idea of Black monarchy some improvement upon mm-hmm. what we do here in America? I don't understand mm. that. You know, um, this idea that like, well, you know, in Africa, there are black faces oppressing. So that's great. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's it, you know, it's the same idea that we get, you know, and again, like uh, I feel conflicted nowadays as a 35 year old man um, about my Jay-Z fandom. Um, I worshiped the guy when I was a kid and his what I see now is like manipulative 
black capitalism, right? It's like mm -hmm. this idea that we're going to reconstitute the system that produced the outcomes that produced the black condition. Let's redo that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but make it black. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's all very um, connected in my mind. All of that stuff that we just talked about is super connected. It's, it's about a redemption of blackness and the unfortunate side effects of shit like this, you know, obsession with successful Jewish people. And this is the thing, though, right? None of this shit ever solves the problem. We've been doing this for forever because no, and you know why? Because no one will say, listen, what we need are the material tools to change the economic and material condition of black people so they have good schools, good housing, quality education, quality study of their children, quality food, all of the things necessary to succeed and to be able to function in a society. But instead, we're talking about when we were kings or we're looking at black capitalists who are basically setting up a paradigm of exploitation in blackface. And a lot of it does stem from cultural nationalism and a lot of other things as well. But again, I don't want the, the there's no reason for the face of anti-Semitism to be black American. That's a that's a fallacy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't I, I don't agree with that in any any stretch of the imagination. And there's always a sick attempt to make it seem like, oh, black people are anti-Semitic. I don't think black people are any more anti-Semitic or anti or homophobic or anything else than anyone else by the stretch of the imagination. Too but there are certain easy. ways in which the relationship between black people and the Jewish community and Zionism as well, dealing with Israel, which many black people are anti anti-Zionist because of the historically racial racially oppressive way in which Israel deals with Palestinians also. But at the same time, there is a relationship in a history of the relationship with the with, with Jewish members of the Jewish community of the community and black people that has antagonism in it. As Wolsey was talking about in New York in terms of economic exploitation, the music industry, the entertainment industry. Economic Bro, Pascal, Lior Cohen and Jerry Heller did a number on these niggas, man. Wait, look, hold, hold up. They before cannot, you even go there. They will not let it go, bro. Waz, Waz, before you even go there. So we have movie night here. I don't know if you were a patron when we did this. There's a movie I found that was filmed in you and Pascal's fair city of New York, apparently after Ju Juice. It was like the same crew. Why'd you say juice like that? Well, I'm trying to remember where the movie juice. <laughs> no, my brother. <laughs> no, no, no. Hard J. Uh, it, it was called Fly by Night. And the movie felt like it was a Jewish dude wrote a movie to make sure his daughter would never fuck a black guy. And, uh, <laughs> In the movie, this dude, these dudes sign a record deal. It's a horrible film, but you really need to watch it. You have to watch it. But they sign a record deal, and as they're signing the record deal, they have this conversation with the Jewish owner of the label that has the most pro-Zionist conversation I've ever seen be shoehorned into a film that's supposed to be about inner-city black people. That makes no sense. We're basically the black dude is talking about racial oppression for no reason. They're signing a record deal, has nothing to do with basically the, the, the label owner is like, I think your people's politics are shit. And and uh and then he goes and talks about the oppression of the Jews and blah 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 and you know kind of 
doubling down on what you said about, you know, you Negroes can't get right because you spend all your money. Um, please watch that film. Please. I, it's on I, YouTube. I Oh, oh, MC Light is it plays the dude's uh, baby mama, and you. I'll definitely watch it, and 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 you know, and, and that's the thing that I definitely wanted to get into you to, with you guys too is that a lot of the industries that black people pay attention to, um, Jewish people are prominent in. Mm-hmm. So there's this sense that they're everywhere. It's like, no, like, you guys have been listening to most deaf talk about the tall Israeli, <laughs> uh, New York, Lee or Cohen. Yeah, rappers have been indoctrinating us to talk about, like, to think about the Jewish, the Jewish people in the music industry as overly exploitive when it's like, who, what black CEOs and executives signed people to great deals? You can't name one. <laughs> Barry Gordy, anyone. You can't name a black music industry executive who was just giving out the best deals of all time. Like, why are y'all singling out Jerry Heller and Leor Cohen? Russell Simmons was not signing people to great deals. Puff Daddy. <laughs> man, they've been, they've been crying about these bad boy deals literally since the 90s. Yep. And Puff was like, oh, when I do it, they got it. You know, they expect it from the white man, but when I do it, it's fucked up because I'm black. He like reverse psychology on that on motherfuckers with that <laughs> shit. <laughs> like there are like, but because, you know, especially when I'm from New York City, like people like the music industry is something that people pay a very close attention to. And this is idea, oh, the Jews, they don't even make the music. And, they, you know, there's all these Jewish executives and blah, 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 blah. And this, this, that, and the third. I'm like, bro, like a lot of these cats got in on the ground floor this, of this industry. It, like there were black people that could have got in. Matter of fact, BLS, black radio ain't want to play y'all shit. There was plenty of black people that could have invested. They didn't want to. They thought the shit was whack. like like, you know it's it's this idea of just like movies and tv and you know when you finally uh get a job in the creative industries of just like oh uh the jews are are running things it's just like bro like you just you just happen to pick out specific spaces where these folks are ascending Mm -hmm. the culture is not the culture yeah. industry. That's it. The culture. But the thing is, though, the culture industry is already. Ha- I mean, this is the thing, is though. You, you, part of the problem is because there are many black people. I'm not going to say all. Many black people don't have a critical understanding of the way in which the culture industry uses capitalism to exploit them themselves in the system. And of course, you're going to get exploited because anyone who's in the culture industry is about creating an image that reifies capitalism. Hold on, Pascal. I want to address this question. This person, Lionel, says, how many black executives have the power to give out deals? Barry Gordy. Barry uh, Gordy fucked a lot of people over. Are you crazy? You if you me? think the record industry, it, that's people right. have to stop with that defeatist ass attitude of Negroes don't control anything. And there's it's always a white man on their neck. Like that. Kill that. Dead that now. Because I got bad news for you. As a person that's been in the music industry the majority of my life. Yo, my, my position is that this is the thing, though. Why is it that people feel that in 
that an economic paradigm, we are in a capitalist society, is premised on exploitation. Why are you crying when the system that you love is doing what it's designed to do? <laughs> and why do you think that? Why, and, and why do you think that there's only black people answering to white masters? It's not like there's anybody trying to think outside of this system. Tuesday, we're actually going to do a show about about uh, the music industry and, and Spotify and some other things. But it's it's extremely foolish. And first of all, I don't know every single black record uh, label owner. There's quite a few. I've dealt with a few surprising but uh bro the they're first they're all the same it's not first like anybody cares hip hop record rapper's delight sugar what? hill records yeah sugar hill records sylvia robinson black owned label mm-hmm. exploited the shit out of those cats yep that's the system that's how it, it that's just what it is it doesn't matter if the person smiling in my face handing me the contract looks like my uncle or or it looks like norm finkelstein you know there's <laughs> it's Dude, the same thing is going to happen and the thing almost is, something deep. capitalism doesn't change because of the color of your exploiter say it again for the people in the ooh, back who right. said that that was a uh, name name for name for mars or something like that oh whoever that is shout out the, it's it's so ill like because I know a lot of my friends work in the music industry and they explain to me it's like artists get exploited, right? And mm-hmm. why does every artist, their goal is to have an artist? Because then they get to do, start doing the exploiting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's <laughs> what. That's the first thing these cats do. That's the first Signing thing these cats artists do. to a record deal. So that I now get to exploit him the way I'm being exploited. And on and on and on it goes. Like when you sign to, you know, ASAP Rocky and your Playboy Cardi, like it doesn't feel any better because ASAP is black and he's cool. He's still being exploited. Like it's, I don't know. But again, it's hard to break these narratives because... I don't want to call it navel gazy, but like I call it racial navel gazing and fart sniffing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you assume? Although, oh, we gotta support black business, so you should go Why? to the black McDonald's owner, who is probably not gonna have unionized labor for sure because he doesn't have the capital ex- the capital size to have unionized labor, fighting minimum wage harder than the white McDonald's owner definitely going to make sure that he's not giving overtime so that's going to be better for black labor because it's a black business owner than a white than a white McDonald's owner and his wealth is not getting reach is not circulating into anywhere but his own particular family paradigm. Mm-hmm. i mean but that's again this the, the people go back to the either you're a sellout if you do that or there's a white man on your neck that becomes the easy the devil made me do it Color does not change the exploitation. Bullshit. Bullshit. If that's the way you think, look, stop trying to use, stop trying to use 1979 arguments in 2022. You don't live in colonial Africa. Maybe you do. (laughs) But that's not Walter Rodney's Africa. 
but the, 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 the situation becomes the assumption that someone who is a neocolonial, in these neocolonial paradigms, you don't think that the actual neocolonial black face at the high, to the top of the pyramid is causing harm to the people at the bottom? I well, mean, apparently we poor people in South Africa feel way better that a black man is in charge of their poverty than a Botha. Is that what you're saying, sir? I mean, I mean, we see it here all the time, though. Like, you know, Barack Obama did make black elites feel good. Mm-hmm. A class of black people, of course. Cause, and, yeah. Uh, black I'm elites felt great. It was like, As look they were losing 35% I, of their wealth. Look, <laughs> look at that black family on the White House steps. Look at that. Just look at that. That's so powerful. I'm like, I mean, sure. You yeah, so, so what ends up happening <laughs> is that black people get role modeling and self-esteem yeah. boosters yeah. while white ethics got the new they got the new deal and the benefits of that. Yep. Yep. And again, the people who it matters to, and like, you know, they did all of these polls about like when it was like, yo, Hillary lost Wisconsin, blah, 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 and, and Michigan, these places that Obama dominated where People were legitimately uh, excited about this guy, uh, and they didn't see any fruits from the excitement and the enthusiasm of getting behind him. And they just were indifferent towards the next thing that happened. And it's these, who was it? Working class people. Black elites loved it. They don't got no problems. Their problems are... Yo, somebody said some shit about my hair at my fucking job that I get $200,000 a year to be at. That's my problem in life. Somebody made a comment about my hair at work. Working class blacks was like, bro, <laughs> like I got real problems. And none of that shit got solved. So the people who have elite problems, they saw the Obama presidency as doing everything it needed to do. It made me go to work with my head high. There's a black man in the White House. Because so he like, vindicated right. them. He vindicated them from yes. the abuse that they felt that they were taking in their jobs. And he validated the position they had in the system that they know basically just exploits people who are not of their class. He vindicates and validates them. Um, and I just want everyone to know that's watching the show. First of all, I didn't read Mick Jägermeister's comment all the way. And, uh, and I, I just said... Send me your address via the email, and I will send you a TIR shirt. My bad. Uh, and second of all, I want everyone to know that these two Negroes did not watch the documentary in question. I did. No. Uh, I'm not watching that shit, bro. No, my brother. And, I'm, uh, not, I'm not going to watch any documentary that Kyrie Irving claims to be educating us. That's not going to happen. Okay, so <laughs> I want to add this because I want to hear you what you guys have to say about this. So, Kyrie, you know there's a morning show uh, ESPN Radio has. So I get, I actually get uh, uh, 50 mil uh, watts of radio power. Actually, there's a big antenna here in Tijuana for the SoCal Sports Station. So it's like ESPN radio and they have a morning show and I left to get a bunch of equipment for the show uh, in the States yesterday. And I, you know, I leave at two, I left at 2 AM and in my two and a half hour border crossing, um, I was listening to Keyshawn Johnson, Jason Williams and Max Kellerman talk about 
Kyrie Irving. And listen to actually Jason Williams and Keyshawn somewhat defend Kyrie because I guess Kyrie said, well, because Max Kellerman, who is Jewish on the show, is like the guy quoted Hitler in the documentary. Jesus Christ. And I refuse to believe after watching it, I refuse to believe Kyrie Irving watched it. I don't believe he watched it. I I tried to watch it. It was late. I think I started watching it at about 156 after I had just watched the Sinead O'Connor documentary. And um, it took, and I'm not even trying to be funny, and I'm not over-exaggerating, it took 25 minutes for it to start because they play a series of trailers for another documentary they make about Jews being uh, chosen people. So it starts off, when it finally comes on, it start, and this is where I knew it was like, oh, this dude did not watch this at all. It starts off with, a Willie Lynch quote. Wow. Oh, wow. No, my brother. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I was talking to Teray about the whole Willie. We were talking about something that Willie Lynch came up in the conversation. He was like, people didn't even talk like that in that era anyway. Like, none of it's real. Um, But when you start off you heard the, the, the word Willie Lynch in a rap song. Who did? Willie Lynch, it's like all through rap. Is it? Like a sophisticated rapper if you mention Willie Lynch, yeah. That's not sophistication. Um, but if that's where you, if if your starting point is Willie Lynch, it ain't gonna get much better than that. And it's basically, you know, kind of off readings of the Bible and a, tons of, of very off place stock footage. Um, it was very shiny. It had a funky fat graphics kind of feel to it. If you remember those. Uh, early Master P uh, album covers. Um, mm. But listening to Jason Williams and Keyshawn mildly, very tepidly defend Kyrie in the sense of Kyrie was like, I'm not defending the anti-Jewish stuff. I'm just saying that there were some educational things <laughs> in there that are important and everyone should Watch this. And, and it's three, I think three and a half hours, and it's a three-part series. There's two more. Hebrews to Negroes or something like that, or Negroes to Hebrews or Jews. It's, I can't remember the exact name of it, but um, it was kind of frustrating to hear these guys, again, tepidly defend the idea that, well, he's just... He's just saying he watched a movie and he's recommending a movie. It's it's almost like, well, you know, what if, you know, Larry Bird <laughs> was 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 recommending, you know, Some shit about eugenics or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not saying all big headed people are niggers. I'm just saying all niggers got big heads. It's 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 I. And I think there is a tendency, and I don't want to say it's knee-jerk, but, like, there's a protectionism, especially if you're black and you're in the media. And, you know, like, we all, like, in the media get passed down this idea of the tradition of um, white people sort of not misrepresenting but not understanding how to cover a black athlete and where the guy comes from and – you know, like you, you, they use the Muhammad Ali example. Um, like this guy was not a media darling. 
<laughs> he had a couple of homies in the media who were prominent, who really fucked with him. The mm-hmm. majority of his coverage was negative as shit, mm-hmm. right, in real time. And, you know, however many years later, we recognize him as the greatest American athlete ever for the shit that he stood for and blah, 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 blah. But in that time, they were killing this guy. And you get handed down this idea that, like, they will fuck up coverage of the black athlete they fucked up ali's coverage that's the well you're you're also but you're 84 is a pivotal year because that's the year ali gets redemption you know why and i don't know if you feel me on this pascal because his parkinson's has set in Mm -hmm. he is slower bill clinton said something about muhammad ali's funeral that pissed me off who basically said muhammad ali became a great person after the parkinson's in other words when he stopped being able to talk that, that, that's when Muhammad Ali gets looked at as a hero fighter and less a rebel rousing, you know, uppity black guy. When he when the arm isn't working and he's struggling with the torch in 84, that's the Muhammad Ali America loves opposed to uh, no, no Vietnamese ever called me nigger Muhammad Ali. Classic quote, by the way. <laughs> My grandma told me that quote one that day. Is such a great quote. Stuck in my head for a long time. I was like, hmm. <laughs> Viet Cong ever called me. <laughs> it's too good. So I, I think I think 84 is kind of a pivotal year for, for the way we look at Muhammad Ali and a lot of people that era. Even uh, the, I can't remember their names, the Tommy. Yeah. Uh, fuck you. You know what I'm talking about. You guys all know what I'm talking about. I'm holding John Carlos and Tommy Smith, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we look at them much differently than we did back then. We look at Jesse Owens much differently than we did uh, back then. I, I, Kurt Flood is, is remembered a lot differently than he is back then. Um, Omar says elite capture. <laughs> I don't know if I would say elite capture. Well, I mean, I mean, again, not to, not to, to to recycle the point I'm trying to make is that sports and entertainment and the, the utility, listen, man, you can write volumes of books on the utility of race to sports mm-hmm. and entertainment. The way in which race is dispatched to create this metaphysics of a collective black interest. We rooting for the brothers. I, say, I don't know this Negro. I don't know what he believes. What he got, <laughs> because once you have it, once you have this belief system that black people all have, as Adolf said in that piece, one collective voice, then you can dispose of their affairs and their politics in one collective swing of the pen and use them as just one disposable bag of just like, okay, this is what the Negroes believe. We're just going to you know, or you can choose that one specific leader. Yeah, and they speak for a people. I mean, there is a lot of crazy outrage. You know, we we, we were joking about it uh, Thursday. Kanye West talking about his Jewish doctor, which uh, was was he sounded so kind of Jewy when he said that, that clip. That clip. My, my, my the doctor. I'm not gonna say it. Uh, he was a Jew. Yeah, I was like, bro, like, you're fucking, 
you it's to the point of self-parody with Kanye. But again, you know, this is a guy who's clearly like off his meds, super paranoid. And I know you're not supposed to denigrate people with mental illness. That nigga ain't crazy, man. He's just that's who he is. That part. He's great. This is who he is. I don't think he's. George Bush doesn't like black people. I don't think he's very smart. I just think he's very narcissistic. Yes, he's very self-absorbed. Um, I think he could. I think, and, and this is the thing too, where it's like, whatever happened to just plain old dismissive folks? Like, oh, like I'm supposed to care what this nigga has to say because he could make a good beat. Nigga, make beats. That's <laughs> it. Nigga, you make beats. Get out of here. We don't care about your freaking thoughts on the condition of of man. Like, get out of here, bro. You but it goes me- back to what you guys were saying about kind of the new love of people like Muhammad Ali and even Jim Brown to a certain extent. Jim Brown, horrible politics, by the way. Yeah, but Jim Brown is of an era where his non-acceptance of his place was very rebellious. Remember, he leaves football when he's at the top of his game. Yeah. Um, and he definitely suffered um, quite a bit of racism growing up in the South. Yes, his politics are trash. Um, but I understand why he sits in a certain pantheon of important black figures in the late 60s with Kareem, um, with Muhammad Ali, uh, because they were pushing back so hard against um the normalcy of of Jim Crow and racism. Uh, that being said, they also some of those people actually showed the failure of black nationalism as an ideology and how far right it really is and how it doesn't really address political economy. Well, that's that's Jason <laughs> trying to drop all kinds of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> that might as well be yeah, the mission black nationalism this is very revolutionary. Bad. You, got, you got you got listen, there's classical black nationalism that is very conservative, but you also have revolutionary nationalism, which is socialist, which is anti-capitalist. It still is based on a collective community concept, but it's definitely you know understands class, challenges capitalism, and is much more radical than classical nationalism. So I mean, I, I will make those distinctions between that. But much of the classical kind of pro-capitalist black nationalism, bootstrapism is um, it's problematic. It causes black man, it's- save yourself, black man. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just sad. again, I wa- so here's where it's interesting about Kyrie Irving, and here's where this whole uh, media sphere to me. Is interesting. So Jason Williams made a point, and someone mentioned it in the chat where Jason Williams was like, "Why is no one blaming Amazon for this?" Now, first of all, if you watch a lot of documentaries, and I and I feel very confident saying this, I think people that watch this show and watch shows like this probably consume too many documentaries. Mm-hmm. And if you don't really understand what you're watching, if you have if you if you're watching it blind, like you have no historical context, then you just think it's facts, right? And I'm not, and I'm not saying that about the viewing audience. Um, but 
Amazon is filled with right wing, a lot of anti-socialist, anti-communist documentaries filled. There's multiple Dinesh D'Souza documentaries on there. There's multiple Thomas Sowell documentaries on there. There's a lot of bad stuff on Amazon. That being said, I didn't watch Uncle Tom. (laughs) Right? But I'm not going to blame Amazon for having it. Yeah. I mean, it's just a deflection. It's like, bro, this dude got everything completely wrong and was just too arrogant to admit so. Bro, Mm -hmm. we can all be wrong, even in public. (laughs) Like, he's just wrong. And... I'm, I don't I don't blame liberal white media for not giving this guy grace on this subject. Again, like I give him a little bit more grace because I know the origins of this stupidity. <laughs> you know, like it's it comes from a place of as Pascal would deem it this like black redemption narrative. Mm. And you know, this these are some of its side effects. And so while I like this guy's fucking stupid. He's saying fucked up shit. I, I'm so proximate to this shit, man. Like, like I have family members who are late converts to Rastafarianism, right? Which, just to, just so people know about Rastafarianism, which is very connected to this. Mm-hmm. These folks in Jamaica decided that the emperor of Ethiopia based on a prophecy in the bible that uh the the messiah would return like i guess 2000 years later or however they did the, they basically did the math and these folks decided the emperor of ethiopia is a direct descendant of king solomon and therefore this motherfucker is god reincarnated and built a religion around it okay which again, it like that can sound however it wants, but it's connected to this idea that the black man is God. Mm-hmm. This African emperor king of this black African nation is God. They built a whole religion around it. I have families who are late converts to it. And when I hear these homies explaining this shit to me, I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> But it's connected to an idea of black redemption, bro. They made a black god. Mm-hmm. It's it's all of a piece. And that so, piece I wrote travels, man. The, the politics of black redemption, the need for the black redemption and vindication, and it's uh, it's It's so when you read black political history, <laughs> excuse me, it's so deep. In that in that in that scholarship, it's so deep in that material that it's it's so prescient. And but again, not to be judgmental, how could it not be when you understand that you know the condition and the reality in which people were, you know that you know they were reduced to property. That you you need the, the need to create narratives that vindicate one from one's position of 
debasement at that time is not illogical. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it has political value as a strategy, as a means to liberate people from the, 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 the economic and social shackles that they're in. Uh, someone someone asked a question. Well, who are they supposed to worship then? White Jesus? I was like, well, I mean, you can worship whatever you want. <laughs> you can worship Joe Gargiola and the Spaghetti God. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I do I do like to um chide my black Christian comrades. I'm like, y'all know the the slavers indoctrinated y'all into this shit, right? <laughs> You do know that, right? Like, that was a lot of so a, a lot of that doc. When I finally got to the meat of the documentary, when it finally played, I'm not even trying to be funny. Uh, twenty some minutes in, I forget it's 25 minutes in, and when it actually starts playing, the first thing they hit you with is like the white man sold you the lie of white Jesus, and then and the and there's Muslims suck, Arabs suck. that's that's all i got from the hour and change i watched from the three hour thing is that all those people suck and they suck really bad and there's no real rationale on why they suck they just suck so sorry pascal according to the documentary you guys if if anybody in the chat if you're black and christian listen man um some of my own ideology is derivative of the things that the Catholics taught me in 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 those schools. You know, love your neighbor, uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Like this is these are principles that I live by to this day. That nigga ain't walk on water though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what came over here live with a party today? Well, speaking of blasphemous uh, quotes, it never happened. Jim Tucson, can you say hello? M2 hello, Sonic hello. There she M2 is. M2 was popping with you. So good to finally meet you, Big Wise. Same. Same, I'm enjoying the hoodie, but you need a This Is Revolution joint. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy that as soon as I get off the call. I didn't even know y'all had merch like that. Yep. Yeah, 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 I'm on that. I got it. It's already happening. Extra large because I need to, you know, slim down. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Pascal with the Safari collection. I'm here for it. <laughs> Representing the neutrals. Uh, and Jason just looks like he's going to uh, do a video in the rain. <laughs> that was some emo song. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, Jason is definitely dressed like um, Future Love Sounds era. One hundred percent. You bring sexy back. Jason is bringing sexy back. <laughs> I'm going. I'm after the show. I'm going on a. I'm going on a date. Uh, after the show. I have a date. M2 Nigga, where, are you, what? where are you right now? I'm in New York City. Oh, nice. Waiting for nice. you to come back. Why'd you leave us? Uh, I'll be back in 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 January. Um, rest in <laughs> peace to my mom. We lost my mom last year. Oh, 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 condolences. Sorry to hear. Appreciate Sorry you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, however, my mom was the only person that could get me to brave holiday travel because um, <laughs> yeah. like she actually cared about spending Christmas the day together. 
I'm never doing that shit again. I'll go see my aunts and uncles and cousins in January when it's cheap. <laughs> so I will be back in New York in January. So rest in peace to my mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about that, man. Uh, Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate an- another you journalist friend of mine lost his mom. I don't know if you follow Justin Hunt. I'm not familiar uh, with his work. Hip, he he used to be on Hip Hop DX. He's now the company man. Um, I know you are a hip hop fan. He's probably he's in LA as well. Okay. A, a transplant as well. I think he's one of the best young hip hop journalists out there that actually has a materialist critique mm. on the music that he enjoys. Yeah, he's man, damn it, good. God. It's it's crazy that you would say that. It's like it's difficult, man, for me now, like, cause I, you know, I'm one of those people. I wasn't, I wasn't listening to no R and B shit. I wasn't mm-hmm. doing. I was listening to rap. <laughs> That's it. Waz doesn't do the yeah. for the ladies joints. Um, nah, I hated that shit. Niggas <laughs> that throw R and B single. I'm like, why are we wasting time? Get to the bars. <laughs> Right, so that like that's that's my shit, right? Like I Yo, can't why is like unapologetically so New York City. It's not even yeah, yeah. it's bad. Gotta be it's you. Bad. It's Gotta bad. Be you. It, sometimes it's to my detriment. No, but no, but I came up just so rap focused, right? And you know, as I get older and I evolve in my worldviews and my politics and stuff like. You know, the, the the fucking just like materialistic, just hyper capitalistic nature of the genre, mm-hmm. it doesn't land the same anymore. I still enjoy the music. Like I still enjoy I'll still listen to Reasonable Doubt. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> but like, you know, when I'm on Twitter and I see people like Oh my God, Rihanna's a billionaire. I'm like, bro, like, it, we it, did it. She's a billionaire. We did it. <laughs> we, we, we did, did it. it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's 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 tough, man. And and that, and look, I, I I still enjoy a motherfucker talking about his Porsche 911 and yeah. you know stunting on his haters and and all of that and all the cribs and and the Birkins and blah blah blah. But like, it really I really receive the music differently now. You know, like I said, my relationship with Jay Z again, like I literally idolize this guy. Like it's my dad, my older brother. And Jay Z as male influence. Wow. Whoa, so Switch I'm him serious. out for Pascal. Switch I'm him out for Pascal. No, 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 I'm serious. As like this guy taught me how to dress, how I should talk to girls, how I might want to be in the world, all of this crazy shit. You spraying like champagne I'm... on girls because of Jay Z? Is that what you're <laughs> Stop Stop on a boat? <laughs> it was. Like, you know, it was as a young man, as a young, impressionable man, like I really looked up to this guy and I've really I don't know that I'm at resentment where this guy comes out and, you know, he gets this deal with the NFL to cure it, the Super Bowl (laughs) immediately comes out against Kaepernick. And then it's like, yo, he's part of the the fucking ownership group that's about to buy the Washington commanders. Mm -hmm. He's got an ownership stake in the team now. He's about to like, it's hard for me not to like actively resent the guy now when this guy was my hero. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Um, and so yeah, like I, I'm still, you know, I, there's still rap that I listen to, but I definitely aged out of that shit, man. I'm, I'm, just, just give me some dance music, some Kaytranada, some vibes, and, and and let me just, let me just. Stop. I, I still, I, I can't listen to hip hop from too many young people, and I think that's okay because I shouldn't relate with a 20 year old as a 45 year old man. Yeah, can't have him. Um. But there is one young person that I, I and I think he's old now. Uh, Vince Staples. I love Vince. I love I, Vince. I saw, I, That's I the super honest one. By the yeah. way, <laughs> yes, he is one, super honest. Fun fact: <laughs> Pascal and M. Toussaint. Vince Staples is Haitian. Oh, is he? Not, uh, His mom is Haitian. Oh, word. he's a secret Haitian. Pretty good, man. Pascal, you you know this because you grew up in New York at a certain time. Niggas used to lie about being Haitian. Oh yeah, absolutely. Maxwell Niggas used to be Haitian. like, I'm not. I'm, Maxwell, his whole life never told people he was Haitian. Yeah. Yeah. Maxwell, yes, yeah, he's Haitian. He's he's half Puerto Rican, but he's Haitian. I didn't and Vince Staples is a quasi secret Haitian. He not he not repping it like me, Pascal, and M. Toussaint. He's from LA. Is different. We we don't yes. have black ethnics like that. No, you know, as you as you probably come to find. You out. have people yes. who are lying in in California. Is what you have. I don't people know who are Haitian lying. and who are Jamaican who are pretending to be American. You're just black in in California. You're just like That's white people. Why. Are just like, you're just you're just black. No one's gonna be you like I'm Haitian. Be like, okay. I'll never forget the time. Again, this is more New York shit, right? Like, my homie introduced me to his girl, who was from Seattle. And I was like, yeah, you white, but, like, what are you? (laughs) Like, and she literally told me it never occurred to her to think of herself as a hyphenated American. Mm -hmm. Whereas in New York, every white person you meet is like, nah, I'm Irish. Yeah, I'm Italian. I'm Polish. I'm German. I'm, you know, I'm Greek. Yeah. Everybody just the, the white people will tell you where they from. Well, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you you white, but like, what else you got? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that can't be it. <laughs> oh, we got superstar in the chat, Napoleon the Legend in the building. Shout out Napoleon. Oh, dope. Oh, Napoleon the Legend in the house. We got, we got all kind of the, the African diaspora is deep in the show today. <laughs> he said rap is whack now. Just admit it. Um, I, I don't want to. I wouldn't say it's completely that, but you know, um, it, like some of this new shit, like Forty Two Doug, and like to some of that drill music shit. Well, I'm just like, bro, this yeah. is beyond my capacity as a consumer. I, I can't. I don't understand this shit. The ones where they're <laughs> actually killing each other. I yeah. have a hard time with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just realized dude, we got to do it. We got to do a show where we get together with you, and this is Revolution. And we do some filming in a Haitian restaurant. Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> I need special consideration. Well, I'm not going to be on camera anyway. Will you just never do a public appearance ever? I mean, I might. She's going to be and at the I, New York show. But she's going to be off. Bring the duck. By the way, I'm sorry I missed L.A. Um. I went out, got drunk as hell the night before, and I was just like, I need to recover. I can't. <laughs> you gotta get drunk with Griscom. That's the I, I bought two tickets to that show, so I supported y'all. I just didn't show oh, up. Shout out. Shout out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got I gotta support everything you guys do up here. Nah, we hey look, we appreciate it because you know, 
We're trying to get more black people to watch the show. <laughs> and bro, every I, to be I honest, help, the I message help. of the show is anti-black, though. Oh, really? <laughs> I was in out the, helping black people yesterday. In the mainstream conception of blackness. This show is shattering all of that, and it's going to be hard for somebody who's steeped in black identity to embrace the message of this show. I, I, well, our, our goal of the show is to shatter the notion of this one uniform black identity, yeah, bro. People like it's going to be hard to tell a, a, a black person who works at Instagram <laughs> that. Their existence isn't really connected to slavery. You have a great job. You got a condo. You're not really a slave. Sorry. Let that. Uh, they don't have to write slave on their face. You're <laughs> like, uh, sorry, your struggle is not slave. Dude, it's you gonna, can't that's tell a tough it. sell. It's you a can't tough tell it sell. I, so there, so we pulled up. We pulled up. I was with. Speaking of Jews, I was with our Jewish live show producer, and we pulled up to Best Buy to get uh, some equipment for the show, and there was a black kid. There were two black kids that were that were stuck in their car. They asked for a jump, <clears throat> and my battery wasn't big enough, um, so. That's what she said. I knew you were going to fuck. And so I ended up calling. I had AAA and I called AAA for the kids and we were talking and, and the young man was asking me, you know, what I did and all this other stuff. So I wanted, you know, tell me about the show, man. And I showed him the, the show. So we'll see if we got some new, some new young black viewership. But I'm out there in them streets, Pascal. I just want you to know that constantly trying to recruit more colored youth and the, the highlight was this was the highlight of the show for me my daughter comes up to me after the show and she's got this big ass grin my daughter flew down her and her boyfriend and she goes daddy you have to meet my new friend I was like oh some of your friends from school came she goes no 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 i met this guy at the show and the dude's like i just want to meet you and say hello da, 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 da. and i'm like okay you know kind of i'm in dad mode when i'm with my kid right so she tells me that when she she wanted to sit down in the crowd she didn't want to sit watch the show backstage and she sat down in the crowd and this black kid sat next to her and she looked at him and she was like oh who are you here to see he was like t-i-r mm. and she was like my dad's jason miles he goes your dad's jason miles do you know who my father is that's awesome. <laughs> that is beautiful but it's it's cool it's cool to me it's cool to me because it's, it's letting me know and and I hope everybody on the screen know that we are getting this message out to the people that we definitely want to hear it. And um, there were some other people that came up to me at the show that, that actually made me feel um, I'm pretty good about, about what we do. But that has always been the goal to make, you know, this elevated barbershop talk, because as all of us on the screen, we got some sort of education in these public spaces Mm-hmm. That was full of this kind of fuckery that we've been talking about on the mm-hmm. show today. Peace to the black man. The black man is God. <laughs> the black man is the original man. Original man. 
Yo, the stuff. You know how many times niggas talked about Mansa Musa in my neighborhood, bro? Yeah. <laughs> It's it, it's oh my god, bro. I I could go on for days about this shit. Like you get off of the J train at Jamaica <laughs> Center, no. and it's a, and it's and it's three niggas wearing weird shit, Dragon Ball yelling Z at people, Dragon Ball Z outfits with a picture <laughs> with a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross, but he got dreadlocks mm-hmm. and he's a caramel brother. Mm-hmm. And they're yelling at you about you don't know your history. You don't know your existence. Which tribe are you from? You don't know. <laughs> Look at the chart. Bruh. They have a chart. They all have a chart. Bruh. I saw them, every time I see them niggas, I think this is this is this is I remember somebody in my family had gotten with he he had gotten with some shit called the gnosis or or gnostic or some shit like that. He explained gnostic to me gospels? he he explained to me this nigga said these people about to teach me how to levitate literally. Here for it. <laughs> Here for it. And oh hold on he also told me part of how you learn how to do tap into these powerful forces is by not ejaculating like saving your your essence is gonna make you a superhuman that was part of it these are the kooky ass things that people interact with in the neighborhood trying to find themselves yes Yes. Well, part of the thing is you gotta understand two black people cannot make a white person, but two black people <laughs> can can make oh, two black people can make an albino that walks up into Europe. You see what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> I did not expect M2 Sun to break down the cosmology like that. I'm from Queens. As soon as you get off the train, it is right there for you. Black soap. Shea butter, dollar vans, and black soap. Oh my God, black soap. My daughter did have to bring me some shea butter from because there's no, I can't get shea butter in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Black man problems. (laughs) Can't hear you. Can't hear you, Jason. Jason, I think you muted yourself. Can't hear you. Your mic might be disconnected or something. Yo, you talking about Mexico and that Shea Butter, man. You jacked your whole Uh, game. Bro. Amlo said nope. (laughs) Bro, so many crazy things, man, that we heard in the neighborhoods that, like, I just forgot about. Like, this man ended one of his messages with Elohim. I was like, yo, am I in a time machine, bro? Y'all ever have ethnic fatigue? <laughs> I just be like, bro. No. Y'all Yo. make me tired. Oh I'm tired. God. That is so funny. Sorry. There you uh, go, reason, okay. My thing froze. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we got you. Yeah, it froze on mute for some reason. Sorry about that. Ethnic fatigue. Bro. That's, that's the new yeah. t-shirt. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired of making excuses for the fact that I eat bacon. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Yes, I eat pork. Yes, I eat mayonnaise. I'm sorry, guys. Mayonnaise too. They went after you for mayonnaise. Oh, they hate. They hate mayonnaise. Negroes hate mayonnaise. Well, my one man was like, "Yo, I don't eat nothing white." <laughs> yeah, I got ranch dressing. Like blah blah. I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> like, bro, what? Oh, man. I got a cousin like that. He manspreads on the subway too. He's got a lot going oh. on. He got a lot going on. Bloomberg had to had to had to pass a law on them Negroes. Like, y'all gotta <laughs> yeah. let people sit down with all of the manspreading, and and it was justified right? too. Bro, y'all got the Oswald Bates action going on. <laughs> <laughs> The definition of the diarrhea, excuse me, the diarrhea of the diaphragm. Allow me to expose my colon. (laughs) You just lost the left. Yep. (laughs) My man Virtuoso said, Waz, your body is a temple. You don't let swine in. Brother, I will be eating pork until the day that I die. That's that's a new question. <laughs> I mean, on, the, on the dating I'm sorry, aspect, Pascal. Yeah. I know you Muslim, and 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 that's yo, man, you know, listen, that's haram. Yo, do your thing, brother. I'm sitting here laughing my ass off. Pascal, you don't eat grill anymore. Pascal nah, eats grill. I don't eat grill. No, <laughs> no. you're trying to live a real life. Good about his Pascal, you are a disgrace to the culture, oh, boy. Don't, don't even say that, man. <laughs> Shout out to Matthew Film Guys watching this, watching this too. This, this is an all-star uh, show right now. Shout out to Matthew Film Guy who oh, says sweet. that Jews have a problem with mayonnaise as well. Bruh, oh, black man. people hate mayonnaise. I'm like, bro, is this, this shit's pork delicious. Is this pork involved in mayonnaise? Mickey mayonnaise? Nah, I don't know. Mm. I don't, I think my one man, I think he was so like homophobic. <laughs> he was just like somebody might put Shit in there, no. and I won't be able to see it. Oh wow, that, that's it a was a sophisticated palette. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, bro, just because something is the color white, you won't have it, bro. You gotta grow out of that, man. No, How do you eat pizza? Cheddar. No, but that's cheese. It's just sauce, white sauce. White, no white sauce. No Alfredo. No Alfredo. No Alfredo. Hell no. Yeah, missing out. Sausage gravy. No, no, that's out of it. What do they call the fancy mayonnaise? What do they call that shit? Um, it's not the V. Aioli. No aioli. No aioli. Yeah, can't do it. Wow, Wow. it's too much. Look, Waz is on the time limit. Waz, thank you so much for joining us. Waz, do you love it? I love you guys, man. <laughs> I'm I'm locked in every episode. I love what you guys do. It's important. And I don't mean that in a corny way, but y'all spreading a beautiful message of solidarity beyond, you know, having your head up your own ass. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it be your race or religion or gender or whatever. It's a solidity that a solidarity that, you know, breaks those divides, man. And so I appreciate the message you guys are putting out there, man. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. Of Thank course. Tell people to try our patties. 
<laughs> Not gonna lie, I prefer Jamaican patty. Give me that spicy beef all day. Yeah, I need that spicy beef. Time for you to go. Spicy beef. I don't do cocoa butter, but give me that spicy beef all day. Ancient culture, man. You just rebuke. You getting rebuked from the whole crew. At least I'm still eating. Love you, love you guys. Peace, boss. Bye, boss. You know, um, that's good. You guys, you need to shut his mic off, so that's good. I'm trying to get him off the screen, but my computer is running super slow. He's off. He's off. You he's off. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. It's on my screen. It's just stuck on smiling Waz face. Oh, smiling oh, wow. Waz. That was fun. I had to jump in. I was hoping you'd jump in earlier. Earlier, really? Yeah. I didn't want to like you know. It's guys' night. I didn't want to like. Nah, dude. It was it was Haitian night. Oh yes, it's it was Haitian, Haitian night. night. And the feelings right. Shout out to Andy William who said, "Why you called out work? You called out of work, but you outside the office." <laughs> it's true. I did Andy call William out. had me dying. There's been some funny super chats as well about you trying to start. No, who was trying to start a fight between you and? Day from Jamaica. That's right. That's right. Gene. Yes. That was Gene. Gene was like, oh, so what's up with the Haitians and Jamaicans? You guys don't get along or what's going on? <laughs> I should have I should have caught it. I should have caught it. This British man jumping into black people affairs. I should have caught it. <laughs> the British man jumping into black people affairs. That's hilarious. That's what they do. <laughs> Seriously, you guys, you guys seriously have to watch that documentary. That that uh, because when I first started watching it, Bajlan had hit me up, and it's I'm not even trying to be funny. It's one thirty in the morning. I just finished a pretty interesting documentary on Sinead O'Connor, and I wanted I did want to bring this up as it's gone. We did our first Grammy performance before she did nothing compares to you. Um, if you remember, uh. Public Enemy in 89 boycotted, and with Will Smith as well. Will Smith, I think, has never been to the Grammys uh, because they wouldn't let, they didn't identify hip-hop as a, you know, music, um, real music category, and, and category. they were going to get their award off. It wasn't going to be televised. Mm -hmm. But for those that don't know, the Grammys is like six hours long, and hell of awards aren't televised. Right. So it wasn't like just hip-hop wasn't being televised. And but so they Sinead didn't... They didn't televise hip hop or metal. Yeah. Or there's a there's a there's yeah. look, tons. Yeah. Fantastic, the homie. His best blues album never gets televised. But uh, she came out and she painted on her head the Public Enemy logo. Wow. Mm. You know, and so Chuck D was like, right on. And I was I was as I'm watching this, I was like, okay. You didn't not go to the Grammys because you were protesting like capitalism. You went because you were mad that you wasn't there. Like you wasn't finna go get your shine. <laughs> that is that's, that's where we are, man. Protest was about like that's we're not that upset with the system. We just want to be in it. I just want my shine. That's really I good. That was funny. I don't know. Five said I'll never let a statue tell me how nice I am. But that's out the window. You got Kanye running up on people talking about, I'm going to let you finish. It's all about awards now. 
It's all about awards. It's all about someone else's standard. Oh, Adnan Hussein is in the chat. Everybody is watching the show today. I don't know what it is about. They saw three black people on here. They're like, hmm. (laughs) Break it up. (laughs) (laughs) This looks like gang activity. (laughs) What's going on? This is in January. This is an MLK day. Dude, so bad. Pascal, I watched that fucking movie. I was this, and Basil Bajlan hits me up about something else, right? And I'm like, I'm watching this fucking documentary, Gene. And I'm, and I'm like, hold on, I got to. Re- so I'm recording, watching it, and sending it to Gene. Gene's like, what the fuck are you watching? I was like, this is goddamn documentary. It's the most insane thing you guys have ever seen. And the whole time I'm watching it, Tucson, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. There's no way in the world Kyrie Irving watched this. You can't watch it. I Maybe if he was so stoned out of his mind. It's one thing it. not to read the book. It's another thing not to even watch the documentary. Like that's that's rough. The it's three and a half hours long, and it's it just weird stock footage and quotes that don't make sense and. I'm like, Gene, apparently Arabs and Muslims are horrible. And Gene goes, Black and Israelites. <laughs> Gene. He was probably three sheets in the wind by the time he was responding to me. Because like, remember, he's two hours ahead of me, too. Mm. I, I couldn't. I was so kind of in shock by the whole thing because I was like, I refuse to go and talk about this man tomorrow without watching the thing that he watched. I want to see how bad this is or isn't. And um, it was just, it was bad. It was bad. I'm going to go watch it. I, you got to pay for it. How much is it? Outrageous. You ready? You ready for this? Mm-hmm. You guys ready for this? Eleven ninety nine. Outrageous. Middle of ten bucks for that nonsense. Man, you I could pay that much for anything on Amazon. I got to tell my date now that she can't have an appetizer. <laughs> Hashtag blame Kyrie. <laughs> that's that's now every time something happens, gotta blame Kyrie. The, right. To buy it, Tucson to buy it, fifty bucks. Every time something costs money and we don't have it, we have to say hashtag blame Kyrie because we spent our money on the documentary instead. I had to I had to watch it. It was for the show. And I was like, I got to finish it, actually. Um, of course you do. It's three and a half hours. But um, I did. So I, I, I think I told you I did meet a. Did I tell you about this, Tucson? Oh, boy. Oh boy. Something about Nalgas. <laughs> I met this really Pascal, I hope you appreciate this. I met this really nice woman. She's around my age. And she does like I don't want to say spiritual work, but like I don't want to get too much into what this woman does. I'm gonna put her on blast. Exorcism? But, well, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Exorcism? She's like exercising first. Exor- she exercises the bad out of you, kind Why of. Why is you know? that where your mind went? She's exorcism. Like, <laughs> 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 
like all of a sudden I'm some goth chick. <laughs> this isn't that bad. This isn't about asses. Like this isn't a very sexual. This is not a sexual thing. Like you think it's gonna be me? I'm gonna talk about titties and shit. That's the off-air conversation I'll have with you. Um, so I she's she's Mexican. I'm like you need to play up your ethnicity because she works with a lot of white women. And I said you need to play up your ethnicity for these white women and it'll give you more money. And I was like, you need to tell them to release your inner chola and play no. up <laughs> no. your racial shit. And she's like, yes, yes, that is a great idea. So I start trying to do a chola accent and I can't because uh, I only have one accent and that's old Jewish lady. Always doing the most. <laughs> Always doing the most. So the inner chola was just an old Jewish lady that sounded racist. <laughs> Jesus. There's always something with you. <laughs> she likes me. Let me do something to make her like me more. Yeah, let me do something to make sure she runs away. So Jeez. if you see anything about releasing your inner chola, Remember, because remember Dragon or Tiger Moms? Remember Tiger Moms? And these women were reading about Asian ladies like being dickheads to their kids. And they're like, yeah, I should be a dickhead to my kid. You have to play the violin until you die. Yeah. <laughs> release your inner chola. That's how you regain your power. Release your inner chola. The chola is just a Mexican woman or Chicano woman? It's in a gang. Okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow, specifically in a gang. Okay. But I couldn't do I couldn't do a Mexican accent. The only accent I could do is like female Jewish lady. Why are you like this? Why are you so, like this? The, yeah. <laughs> you, you made it sound like Norm. Are, are you ladies in the gang too? Gosh. Are you here for the meeting? <laughs> are, you, are you here? Do you have your dickies? Just sometimes you just get... terrible. And we're demonetized <laughs> for sure by now. So it's Edith Bunker as a chola. Unreal. And that's her new strategy. She's very. She's a very successful at what she does. But I was like, I think you'll be even bigger just if you release your inner chola, you know, change your whole look, thin out the eyebrows. Oh, wear some dark lipstick. Yes. And you see, I changed my whole media. Um, You're successful, but you <laughs> haven't had my advice yet. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you how to make $10,000. Let's add five digits onto that. You stick to doing videos in the rain. Well, someone says Jason wants to date sad girl. You're right. Jason does want to see what it's like to date a woman that will stab me over a misunderstanding. Champagne Humanist says you're right. People love, uh, they love an ethnic success story. 
and white people will buy that up. You guys could play up the whole Haitian thing. You should play it up more. More? Pascal's the Haiti guy already. His I know. Look at that shirt. I'm proud of him. <laughs> From the Papa Doc collection. <laughs> Aggressively <laughs> neutral. <laughs> we love you, Pascal. It's okay if you want to look like an African dictator and revolutionary that like takes out the African dictator. Okay. Especially when I put him just look, watch, hold up. You want to see Pascal's a dictator? There you go. Bam. <laughs> now do the thing, do the thing where you do the thing with your fingers like this. When you do this, that's how you know heads will roll. Heads will roll. <laughs> heads will roll. Hey, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Big Waz. Thank you, MT, for coming on. Yeah. So we could have the full Haiti experience. Haitian I'm still disappointed about the um, the patties, but okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be back Tuesday. Tuesday. It'll be a special. Uh, Pascal and Tucson will be off. It'll be me and some music people. We'll be talking about. The industry. I'll be off for real on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pascal will like be this. off for real. We'll be back for a huge show Thursday. Big, big news show. We'll Hopefully we'll be able to announce uh, our East Coast live show soon. Nice. Sounds good. So thank you guys so much for hanging out. Yeah. Peace, black men. Uh, Pascal, Peace do you have any God. plans for... Uh, the rest of the day? Yeah, I do. I got to do something for Gene. He has give me a little homework to do. Collect oh, some shit. of my writing articles and links to send it to him. He has to put it together for our website. Oh, I know what that's about. Mm-hmm. Tucson, do you have any uh, special projects you're doing today? I need to drop off my donations. Just clear <sighs> out the house, you know? It's well, good. We're looking forward to your donations. It's going to go a long way here in Baja. That's right. Guys, thank you guys for watching. If you have anything to say to us, drop a comment. You guys like dropping comments. You do. You do like dropping comments. If you want to talk about Jason's emo in the rain outfit. <laughs> Go for it. We love fashion what? tips. Who who you want to see more of, less of, send it all. Who Leave it in the comments. In the Safari collection. Who you don't want to see in the Safari collection. Leave it all in the comments. Thank it's you, the guys. The glasses and the goatee that puts it over the top for the African dictator thing. Just so It is kind of, <laughs> yeah. But you look like the revolutionary that also wants to take overtake the uh, corrupted uh, dictator. Within You're 20 like years of power, he changes. <laughs> Every 20 years of power. <laughs> 20 years of power. They're all Mugabe. <laughs> In the end, it's all Mugabe. Oh, my God. Eddie Williams has that look, too. It's a good look. Good look. Wait, is Andy Williams Haitian? 
Yes. Pascal in New York. When we do the New York show, you'll meet Andy Williams. I'm looking forward to it, man. He's always got some great books in that selections. And Andy yeah. Williams is officially he's in a circle of trust. Andy Williams is so in a circle trust. of trust. He gets the backstage pass. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a, he's legit. All right. Thank you guys. And we are out gods. <laughs>